are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Brendan Clean from Locked On Suns as the reported allegations against Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver from almost a year ago have finally come to a head. Robert Sarver being suspended for one season and fined for $10 million for fostering an environment of racism, sexism, and general harassment within his organization. Then we chat with Brian Kamenetsky from Locked On Lakers. The Lakers have signed Dennis Schroeder to their roster. Dennis Schroeder going for his second go-around with the LA Lakers. Does this mean a Russell Westbrook trade is likely on the horizon? And if the Lakers don't move on from Russell Westbrook, are they punting on a year of LeBron James still at the top of his powers? Lastly, we chat with Jeff Garcia from Locked On Spurs as the Spurs made the decision to move on from DeJounte Murray going headfirst into a rebuild, which is not something that we've come to expect out of the San Antonio Spurs organization. What are the expectations and adjustments for the Spurs this season? Which young guys should be on the radar for this Spurs team? And is Greg Popovich going to stick around for a rebuild? As always, we appreciate you for making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube, where you can search us up. Just search Locked on NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Joining us now is Brendan Clean from Locked on Suns. You can follow on Twitter at BrendanClean14. Now, Brendan, after reported allegations against Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury owner Robert Sarver last year of creating and fostering an environment of racism, sexism, and general harassment within his organizations. Sarver has now been suspended for one season and fined $10 million after what was almost a year-long investigation conducted to figure out just exactly what was going on in Phoenix. Let's start with just on the surface, was... What, before we get into some of the specifics of of the details of this, you know, of the probe and trying to figure out, you know, everything that was going on here, was the suspension and fine enough, or should the NBA have strived to do more? It's a it's a difficult question. I think on the side of the fine, uh, unfortunately, uh, that's the max that he could have been fined, and so people feeling like that's you know small potatoes. I think they're right. Uh, I think the NBA got a little bit screwed over as far as not foreseeing more problems. And maybe you could criticize them for wanting to do more. But in terms of the full punishment, I don't think it goes far enough. I think you could have easily seen a longer um, suspension. I feel like there's a way to read the punishment that's sort of, you know, in the NBA's most ideal circumstances, this is now giving Robert Sarver time to sell the team, which we can discuss if he will give in on that. Uh, and if you had punished him by suspending him longer, I think you would have only increased the likelihood that he would have gone ahead and sold the team, just not thinking all of this was worth it for him anymore. None of that is really the case now. So you have now left with a fine that's not all that extensive, a suspension that's only one year. And of course, uh, most likely is he's still the owner of the team, at least for the, the short term. 
And there were various, you know, former employees. I mean, in total, more than 320 current and former employees, as well as Sarver himself, interviewed, questioned about, you know, going through this entire investigation, many of whom, you know, at least in the aftermath, you know, anonymously, you know, upset at the ruling, the way that the NBA has decided to handle this situation. We'll get into some of the the players who have even commented on the outcome of the situation, but some of the more some of the details and specifics here because it, it is not great stuff but you know apparently at least on on five separate occasions Sarver had repeated the n-word when recounting statements of others engaged in in instances of inequitable uh, conduct, I should say, toward female employees and engaged in demeaning and harsh treatment of other employees, including name yelling, cursing at them, just generally harboring a, a not not a great work environment if we're putting it and that's putting it incredibly lightly here. This is, you know, a, a very you know, a, a situation that for many would be deemed untenable. And that's basically what it became for a lot of, you know, current and former employees. You mentioned it there a moment ago. Could this be the beginnings of Robert Sarver being forced, you know, forced out, right? Forced to sell the, the Suns and the Mercury. Forced? Probably no. I mean, right. Like I think the NBA's decision here was the only real thing that was going to legally officially force Sarver to sell the team, right? Um, you know, it would have been a vote by the other owners. It would have been a whole to do that. Seem that ship seems to have sailed. I think you have seen some uh, dominoes falling that maybe could lead us to him somewhat voluntarily. Again, I do want to remind people that when we think of that as some sort of punishment, it's a heck of a punishment to get hundreds of million dollars for acting like a turd for twenty years, right? So in that case, even if it's not forced, and it is kind of like you know, his, his hair is pulled and he's dragged around and, and then he eventually gives in. That's still pretty good for him. Um, and that could happen. We've seen PayPal, who's the Jersey patch sponsor for the Suns, say that they will not redeem or uh, re-up that contract with the Suns at the end of this season when it expires, if Sarver is still the owner. We've seen people like Chris Paul, LeBron James, and the uh, executive director of the NBPA all say that the punishments didn't go far enough. The NBPA director... Uh, went so far as to say that she would was calling for the resignation. We also saw calling for the removal is what she said. Again, I think that ship has sailed, but we get the gist of what she's saying. And then uh, the second largest shareholder of the Suns who holds the title of vice chairman, he's a guy who's done a lot of social justice work with Colin Kaepernick. He's very involved in sports. He's in F1, et cetera. He has also called for the resignation of Robert Sarver. So if those dominoes continue to hit other dominoes, you could see the public pressure just get so bad that the bottom line is being affected. The community uh, conduct and relationships go, go hurt so badly that he just eventually gives in and chooses to sell the team. But it feels like we're still quite a ways away from that. It's crazy to think to me, right? And I think this is one of the, at least maybe common misconceptions among you know certain NBA fans possibly is that, some people, I think, think that, you know, Adam Silver just has like omnipotency over the NBA. He can just, you know, pick and choose, fire people, you know, remove owners. He doesn't have that kind of power. In fact, actually, the the owners of the NBA teams are, are his boss, right? Like he works for the owners. And that's part of the intricate balance of how to, you know, how this situation has to be addressed and handled. And in a way the amount of blowback that the NBA has seemingly received in, in light of their decision on how to rule based on their internal findings and everything of the investigation, you know, information that isn't, wasn't made, you know, really readily available to the public, you know, outside of just the, 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 you know, the actual report that made its way out there. 
as far as all that's concerned, that might actually be the blowback might actually be enough, right? The outside pressure might be what is enough to actually get Sarver to potentially step away or, or sell the team rather than, you know, the NBA trying to step in and, and say, all right, well, now you have to sell it, right? Which is kind of an interesting way that things, you know, how things certain, you know, how they kind of potentially work out, right? It's uh, it's a it's a tricky situation. And I think it, the NBA deserves a lot of criticism for putting itself in that situation because again, we're, we're now in this situation where, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that fans directly bore the brunt of what Sarver, how Sarver handled himself as owner, right? There were people in those meetings and, and workplace activities that clearly as this report shows, we're really dealing with it, but putting the pressure on or putting the onus on, uh, you know, the, the, the workers or the corporate partners, the, you know, the everyday people who are kind of business involved with the Suns, fans, uh, players who are also employees, even though obviously we don't have to kid ourselves, they're also very wealthy people. But like to put the, the onus on all of those people to kind of initiate change here is incredibly frustrating. Um, and I think the NBA very much will be kind of saved from itself if that's how this ends up going. They could have acted more severely. They chose not to. And now the change that they could have got, that they could have implemented might happen anyway because of these other forces that are spurring that along. So that's a little bit frustrating. But yes, to your point, you even look to a situation like Donald Sterling. He was given a lifetime ban, but that didn't mean he was removed from his ownership. He lost control of the Clippers because his wife, ended up determining and, and getting a judge to sign off on the fact that Sarver, or Sterling sorry, was no longer capable psychologically of managing the business. And so she was able to sell it on his behalf. Now, he obviously got the money, but uh, that was how that played out. So yeah, there's not a lot of precedent for the commissioner coming out and saying, you're banned, your team's gone, goodbye, no dollars in your pocket, it's over. That wasn't probably ever going to happen, but the NBA fell way short of uh, of that. Lastly, here and this is kind of maybe the you know at the end of the day, as far as just as it relates to the you know on the court product for the Suns, how do you expect the situation to impact the the day to day operation of the organization, and if there's any potential you know blowback fallout from from the outcome here? So they've been operating like a team who knew something was going to happen for a little while. Now, you know, I don't even know if they knew the severity or the specifics of what the punishment might look like, but I do think uh, there was an interview with the new assistant general manager who was, you know, boundary breaking in her own right, having, you know, the first black assistant, uh, black woman assistant general manager in the history of the NBA, very high profile hire from the league office. As an example, she gave an interview where she said during all of that hiring process, she never met Robert Sarver, Right. So they've been moving forward with James Jones, I think, being kind of the main decision maker here. They have appointed an interim governor of the team to, to make some of those, you know, real decisions, be at the league meetings, the owners meetings, et cetera. Um, on the floor, I feel like the basketball culture is not really related to Robert Sarver. I think James Jones and Monty Williams and Chris Paul and Devin Booker, mostly those four, have created a, a culture over the past two years and achieving really, really tremendous success that can withstand this. I think they probably already knew what Sarver was like. I don't think this is a shock to them. The report has been out there for a year, almost all of last season. 
They knew all of these allegations were out there. So I think they will be able to move forward. I don't think this will be the, the thing that makes or breaks their season. But obviously, as a whole organization, it is going to be a big adjustment period. And, and it's not going to go anywhere because, as we've said, there's still these looming questions about if he eventually sells, what are these corporate partners going to do, et cetera. And uh, the Suns and, and the workplace culture and the, 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 the leadership, that, that story is not going away anytime soon, I think. It, it, and if, not, if nothing else, it'll be right back in our faces next September when he would be allowed back. What other dominoes can we expect to fall from the Robert Sarver suspension situation, all of that? Will it have any you know, on-court ramifications for the Phoenix Suns? Of course, you'll have us covered for all that and more over at Locked on Suns. Brendan, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Anytime. Coming up, how much does the addition of Dennis Schroeder move the needle for the LA Lakers? And does it mean that with now Patrick Beverly and Schroeder in the mix that Russell Westbrook could be on the way out or will the Lakers still be holding on to Russell Westbrook? We're going to get there in just a moment after a quick message from our friends over at Rocket Money because look, do you know how much your subscriptions really cost you every single month? Most Americans think that they spend around 80 bucks a month or so on subscriptions when the actual total is closer to over $200. That's right, you could be wasting hundreds of dollars each and every month on subscriptions you don't even know about. Rocket Money is the app that I've been using that takes care of that for me. It's formerly known as Truebill. The app shows you all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want or need. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions that you didn't even know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for certain subscriptions. To cancel, all you have to do is press the cancel button and Rocket Money will take care of the rest. It is that simple. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA, where we appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available on all platforms. Joining us now is Brian Kamenetsky from Locked On Lakers. You can follow on Twitter at Cam Brothers. Now, Brian, back for part two with the LA Lakers, Dennis Schroeder. We got This is the most important question I think we got to answer off the surface. Does this mean that Dennis Schroeder is going to now go get another LA Lakers tattoo? Because he gets a tattoo of every team he plays for. So does this mean oh. he goes back and gets another Lakers tattoo? Because he got a you Rockets know, I, tattoo. He's only here for half a season. I don't, I, I honestly didn't even know that. So like, this is, uh, this is my opening question for media day. I am very excited to kind of tackle this. Uh, I can't think of things that are more important than finding out the answer to this question. And if so, does he go with like a retro, like an old school, like logo? Does he go with well, like, I mean, like know, an alternate like, logo? Yeah. It depends on what the first one looked like. I mean, or you just little, little squared like next to it. I don't know. Right. There we How go. Much real just, guys played for a lot of teams of late. So I mean, he's probably, he's gotta be run yeah, out right. of real estate. I mean, imagine if Ish Smith did, you know, every team that he played for got a tattoo. He'd, he'd run, he'd run out, you know, overnight. All right. No, let's get to the real big question here. And that's the fact that writing on the wall here, you know, the acquisition of Patrick Beverly now Dennis Schroeder, does this, is this another domino where you say, all right, Maybe things are trending towards a rust deal, despite the fact that it feels like every piece of media being pushed out there says the Lakers have zero intentions of trading Russell Westbrook and that they want to run it back with him and that he's going to be in L.A. this season. All of that. I'll push back a little bit. They have every intention of trying to trade Russell Westbrook and they're perfectly willing to trade Russell Westbrook. What they aren't willing to do is trade Westbrook at any cost. There and we go. so but that's that is actually different than the the 
sort of the assumptions, particularly at the beginning of the offseason, which was just like they cannot possibly bring him back. So regardless of how much it sucks, regardless of how bitter a pill you have to swallow, you got to swallow. You got to take the medicine. And they have they have come off of that position uh, to whatever extent it was theirs to begin with. And so I think it makes it easier to trade them. I think it makes it so you have a credible backcourt and like a lot of you know good players back there and whatever should uh, the opportunity come. But I don't think you know the Beverly deal. I don't think the the Schroeder deal really have much to do with the timing of a potential Westbrook deal because we know what the deals are. They can take Utah's flotsam and jetsam, and you know Utah can try to extract as much value from the Lakers as possible, or they can do the Indiana deal. Those two seem to be the only things that are available. And I think it was actually your your brother and co-host uh, who kind of commented on this that. The, the whole Dennis Schroeder situation with the Lakers is kind of hilarious in the fact that you look at it and like, all right, the Lakers gave up a first to get Dennis Schroeder. Then they wanted to overpay him. Then they didn't overpay him, which led directly into the Russell Westbrook trade. And now they have Schroeder on a vet minimum deal and are deciding whether or not they want to give up more first to get rid of Russell Westbrook, which is just the weirdest, like vicious circle, whatever you want to call it, 30 for 30. I, I don't know. It's kind of yeah, crazy to think about. It is uh, another example of asset management issues that the team has. And you look at it and you know, putting they it also putting it mildly. They also didn't get anything for Schroeder when they, you know, when he left. And like, so it's like, it's just this extraordinary, you know, set of, of, of mismanaged, you know, I, options here. And, you know, it echoes what they did with Talon Horton Tucker, where they, Gave him the wrong contract and then gave him too big a contract and then it wasn't enough long enough years. And then they signed Westbrook or they traded for Westbrook and basically made it impossible for THT to find a role that really worked for him. And then they, you know, and you end up having to unload him for a 34 year old player. And no question that Beverly is a more useful and better player for this team than THT was, but it's, it's not what you want to be doing you know, and, and how. And so you start to these these mistakes, um, small versions of them and large versions of them, you know, like the Westbrook deal are really starting to pile up here with the Lakers and, uh, you know, this administration. And so I think it, the, the, re, the, the bringing back of Schroeder is not a bad idea in a vacuum, but it does represent an incredible turn of events that highlights how bad they've been at, at managing their assets. Is it when you kind of look at that, right, kind of an encapsulation of some of what's been going on with the Lakers for, a, you know, a front office, an executive in Palenka who is basically more or less gift wrapped two of the best NBA players in the league, right? Mm -hmm. LeBron James picks L.A. and A.D. is like, I want to go to L.A. and he's not going anywhere else. So even though L.A. had to give up a lot to get A.D., that was basically going to happen. Past those two things, though, I mean, it feels like a lot of the management outside of acquiring those two players, which, again, was largely their choice, has just been terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I will. Get, they put together, a, you know, a, a team that was better than expected, I think, for, um, you know, where the pieces paid off better with JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, you know, Markeith Morris turned into a very good pickup by the playoffs. And, you know, that that, that title season was obviously you know that, that you got to be a pretty good roster you have, to, to, you have to give credit for that yes right absolutely and you know so i think they did some some good things there i it didn't work but
But I will say, I supported the roster changes that they made coming out of the title season into the next year because I didn't think you could play that late in the season, run it back the same way. I, I just did, I, you know, I think you needed some different energy there. You needed some new legs and people who hadn't been coming off that same title run. Um, and they were a good team until that team fell apart. So I, I, I can excuse the second season with, um, you know, in terms of who they put on the roster. Last year was a bleep show. And it, and it was an avoidable one because you knew everything that was going to come if you traded Westbrook. Like now you're going to be building this team with minimum guys. You've traded away all of your depth and you have to, you know, put yourself on this treadmill where they currently still stand. And, they, you know, I think they did a little better job this year with their one year deals than they did the year before. But they're still on this series of one year deals where you have to kind of take what you can get. It's very difficult to put together a coherent roster. And that's how you end up with. Six guards, basically no wings, and very few ways of getting their best players on the floor without sacrificing other potential strengths that they have. Yeah, I don't know who's experiencing more of a wing shortage right now. The LA Lakers are wing stop, you know, having I, to sell chicken thighs instead of wings. I it is I it's amazing how allergic they seem to be to the idea of getting real live wings like guys who can credibly play the th two three certainly even more so the three four and this is not new this is this was last a problem last year this is a problem even when they were when they were better rob palinka just doesn't seem to think that this position is particularly important and now you hear reports that you know i mean obviously lebron can still get out there and do that but you don't want him guarding you know wings and you know the the, the jason tatums of the world and all that you know throughout a season and, you know, they signed Juan Toscano Anderson, who's a nice player. But, you know, where do you play him if you, you know, and, and you know, Troy Brown, who has some defensive uh, pedigree with him, is pretty well regarded on that side of the ball, but hard to get on the floor, not a stretch guy. And when you have 19 guards that all seem to need to play, somebody's got to sit. So now they got to go super duper small. And there are reports that they're really heavily considering using Patrick Beverly on primary as a primary wing defender. And look, Pat Bev has guarded up through most of his career and he can do it or whatever. But I I don't think it makes me overly cynical to worry about a plan that hinges guarding some of the best players in the league with a six foot one, 34 year old point guard who gets hurt for 35 games a year. That just doesn't seem to be a really good plan. Not a sustainable recipe for I success. don't think so. I don't mm. believe it is. Now, I love Pat Bev. You know, as a, as a player, he fits really well with what they need. But that is a terrible, unsustainable idea. I guarantee to Lakers fans everywhere, Pat Bev will be, become the second favorite Laker on the team behind LeBron by game 25. Like, it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Um, last thing for you here, Brian, and I, I, I find myself sitting here wondering that, you know, if, if this Lakers team doesn't decide that they need to, you know, move on from Russell Westbrook mm -hmm. at whatever cost that may be. I, I can't help but sit here and think that it's crazy to think that the Lakers will have then potentially you know, punted, for lack of better terminology, maybe on, on two years of having LeBron James in purple and gold, which is kind of crazy to think about because they punted on that first year. And if you actively choose not to move on from Russell Westbrook this season, you are effectively punting yet again. Yes and no, because you are. But if you make a trade that doesn't really make you any better, you're punting anyway. 
except now you're going forward into the future with less stuff and less flexibility. And I, I think Palenka's one of his huge flaws is that he overvalues cap space and undervalues the potential creativity that most GMs seem to have. But, you know, if we have players, we can create things, we can move things around. We have, he is, you know, obsessed with cap space. Um, but I, you know, the Utah deals that are out there, for example, those don't improve the Lakers very much. And so, you know, if you have to unload a first round pick and, and certainly two first round picks to get Bogdanovich and, you know, Jordan Clarkson and, and, you know, pick another player, they're really not any closer to a title. I, you can make an argument, I think, for the Indiana deal. Um, I think that's a better one for the Lakers. Miles Turner is the best player that's going to be traded in any of these scenarios. Buddy Heald fills an obvious need. But yeah, I, I, they're punting if they make a bad trade anyway. You just win a couple weeks of press conferences. And so, and now there isn't even that much summer left to do press conferences. So I don't, I don't know what they gain. They are, you, you, win, you win media day. How's that? There you go. Maybe, but I, this was a two-year experiment that they, should, they knew or should have known that if it didn't work, they were going to be kind of screwed for two years because unloading that contract is not easy. So as as things currently stand, if if you were Rob Palinka, if you had the GM hat on, you're just ready to buckle into one more season of Russ and let him fall off the books and see what you can kind of salvage yeah, after I mean, that. I would try. To, I would see if I could, you know, force Indiana's hand here. Maybe get some sort of favorable protections on picks or something with that. You know, with that trade, I, I would probably if if that is still out there. Where if the Lakers include that second pick, they can trade Westbrook and. And bring back Heald and and Turner. I would probably do that, um, but if that's not really a choice, or Indiana is is not willing to play ball, or they're just waiting. Indiana doesn't have a lot of incentive to make that deal now either. If they don't particularly want to have Westbrook on their hands, I would not just trade him. I would stick with a better plan and understand this season's going to be rough because it's going to be rough anyway. Definitely rough sledding ahead for the LA Lakers. It's going to be some much must watch TV though. And at some point I, I desperately want to see all three guards on the floor together. Oh, you will, Peter, you Patrick will, because Beverly they're going to have Russell to go Westbrook. so small. They're going to have to go so small to get these guys on the floor. <laughs> um, and you know, they're talking about Beverly as a, as a wing defender, using Reeves on the wing, using Lonnie Walker on the wing and basically turning their, you know, parade of six foot three, six foot four and under players into their one, two, three rotate, you know, their, their guards and small forwards, like, because that's the most stuff that they have. Can guards play on the wings? Will Russell Westbrook continue to be an LA Laker or will some team somewhere decide to step up to the plate with a palatable offer for the Lakers organization that Rob Palenka is amenable to? We're, you're going to have us covered for all that and more over at Locked on Lakers. Brian, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks, Jackson. Coming up, the San Antonio Spurs signaled that they were diving headfirst into a bottom-scale, full-out rebuild by trading DeJounte Murray. How do we adjust expectations for the San Antonio Spurs this next season? Is Greg Popovich fully committed to a rebuild? We're going to get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Joining us now is Jeff Garcia from Locked On Spurs. You can follow on Twitter at Jeff G Spurs Zone. Now, Jeff, 
the Spurs are entering kind of an interesting mm -hmm. period now, you know, yeah. with the organization kind of going just full bore into mm -hmm. a rebuild, which isn't something we've seen, you know, mm -hmm. really in recent memory ever, maybe from the Spurs. Yeah. Uh, so I want to start with what were the factors at hand that ultimately led to the Spurs organization deciding to move on from DeJounte Murray and was the return fair value in your eyes? Uh, well, as far as them diving into the deep rebuild, I think they saw the writing on the wall. They were on the cusp of being a middling team. They were right there. It was playing and bounce, playing and bounce for about, what, four, three, four seasons in a row now. That ain't going to work in the NBA. And they decided to just pull the plug. And what better signal to do that than trading DeJounte Murray? Uh, and believe it or not, and I'll address you know, the Murray return in a bit, but they've been pulling the plug way before the Murray trade. People, obviously, that was a big move, but there was the Derek White trade. There was little moves. There was the uh, the Bryn Forbes to Denver move for draft picks. There was the Thad Young, Drew Eubanks trade to Toronto for draft picks. So they already been signaling. They, they just really officially made it big and known when the DeJounte deal got uh, done. So it wasn't too much surprise for me to see them trade DeJounte. Uh, but I know a lot of the Spurs fan base were shocked that that happened. But if you read the read the tea leaves, you, everybody should have seen this coming. As far as the fair value, I, I think the Spurs made out. If their goal is to rebuild, then boy, did they get themselves a haul to jumpstart that rebuild. You know, the multiple draft picks, um, uh, you know, position themselves uh, to uh, net themselves a good pick in next season's draft or next summer's draft. Uh, so you add the, the Derek White trade, you add the Brent Forbes trade, you add the Thad Young trade, you add the DeJounte Murray trade. That's a lot. That's a big war chest they're going to go into uh, moving forward. So this is the way the Spurs really got themselves to the top years ago, and they're going to have to do it again. It was bottoming out and getting yourself David Robinson, bottoming him out, getting yourself Tim Duncan getting bold in the draft, moving up to get Kawhi Leonard. There's a common thread here, the draft. That's how the Spurs rebuild. So they're going to try their hand again. I'm looking forward to that uh, Utah Spurs game next season. Who's going to be the worst team on the court? I mean, that's going to be <laughs> hilarious. Like, who's going to do with the most bricks and most missed layups? Because uh, the Spurs now got competition for the race for the number one pick in next summer's draft. And uh, I'm like this. Like, if – if the basketball gods smile on the Spurs and they get the number one pick, great. But I just can't see them getting out of number three. I think if they fall out of number three, let alone number five spot, it's just a disaster and the rebuild is prolonged. We're not going to be surprised to find out that other Spurs get traded. They still have some nice, valuable pieces they can flip if their goal is to develop a bigger war chest of draft picks. Uh, the Yaka Pertle would not be surprised if he's dealt by midseason. Josh Richardson would not be surprised if he's dealt uh, before at the end, well, the uh, trade deadline next season. Because, yeah, I mean, I mean, Jakob Pertl, he's already been on record with Austrian media saying that I'll finish out my contract, but I don't know if I'm going to stay beyond this. So he's already signaled to the Spurs that he may not be here for the long rebuild and can't blame him. You know, he's still young. He's on the cusp of entering his prime years. Joel Embiid sings his praises every chance he can, calls him the most underrated center in the league. So yeah, he's going to want to test the water. So if you're the Spurs, you say, okay, well, let's see what we can get now. They're really going to rebuild this. 
I'm, I'm used to, uh, you know, I'm also old. I've been through two rebuilds in San Antonio's history, so this is not new to me. But I'm looking forward to see the younger Spurs fans are going to experience their first rebuild and see how they handle it. Brace yourself, kids. It's not going to be fun for a couple seasons. That's what we're going through right now in yeah. Houston. There's a lot of Rockets fans that weren't around for other eras of Houston yeah. Rockets basketball. They only knew the James Harden era and all the winning. Yeah. And, and it's it's funny to see fans have to adjust and kind of, you know, temper mm-hmm. their expectations a little bit and change expectations, right. you know, as you're navigating a rebuild. And that's kind of a big key for this next mm-hmm. season for the Spurs, Jeff. What are some of your expectations kind of currently set sure. for the the new crop of players coming mm-hmm. in for the Spurs organization. They're bringing in six rookies this year, a yeah. couple guys on two-way deals. Obviously, mm-hmm. you've got Jeremy Sohan is the big name coming in, ninth overall pick in this past year's NBA draft. What are some of the expectations that you have for him as well as some of the other young guys being brought in like Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley? Uh, you know, don't win a lot of games. <laughs> That's why you don't win a lot of games, guys. You know, turn that ball over. Get your draft odds to the 14% you can. That's, I think that is the biggest expectation. I think a lot of the Spurs fan base are also expecting this team to be bad. As far as individual player expectations, uh, I know you mentioned Sohan. I'll get to him in just a few seconds, but we'll start off with KJ Kelvin Johnson. Got paid. He really got paid. Uh, so we're going to see if the Spurs are really going to see him as a key in the just, just to jump in. Keldon Johnson is now very clearly the Spurs best player, right? Yeah, like I'm not, yeah, that's not yeah. a misconception. All it's right. Just want to make sure nothing about that, but All sneaking right. it up really close behind him and hot take time. I think he may challenge KJ for that man spot in the roster. And that's Devin Vassell. Uh, th- th- this kid has something and not to, not to knock anything on KJ. KJ's a r- r- good player. But Devin Vassell can do a little bit more things on the court that uh, KJ cannot. Uh, So we're not going to be surprised to see him, Devin Vassell, really take a big leap forward next season. But KJ is the man. They're paying him like the man. Uh, We'll see. You know, the the office is going to flow through him. The defense is probably going to start with him. Everything's going to start with with KJ and Devin. I've been told that those two guys have been already working out together by themselves uh, in this offseason. Just them two. So it looks like they're going to try to get on the same page, work things out, and really take the reins as the next leaders of this team. But still, Jackson, yeah, I mean, not enough. Not enough. I mean, look, if, they, if the Spurs can trade uh, DeJounte, and they, I, I say, yeah, these, there's nobody on this roster that is still untouchable at all. No. If, if somebody makes an offer for KJ, and if it's a great offer, like this guy for DeJounte, I think the Spurs will do it. Uh, they're, they're, they're at this point of their franchise history of really trying to get into being uh, or just getting back to the cream of the crop of the yeah they're, they're they're nice pieces they're good to have yeah. but if the right offer comes along yes. nobody's untouchable at this point nobody's untouchable nobody is I mean I I mean you know a lot of Spurs fans are high on Josh Primo I'm still yeah jury's still out that's my opinion I mean okay he's shown something but let's see what he's really going to do next this upcoming season so expectation for josh primo is still in that incomplete mode i need to see him really get extended minutes and we're going to get that next season uh i I think a trey jones may come out as you know perhaps the season long starting point guard there's a bit of a point guard controversy right now in san antonio is it going to be trey jones is it going to be josh primo uh I, i tend to lean towards trey jones I think Josh Primo can play at least three positions because we forget we forget that Primo and a good handful of these guys on the roster are teenagers. The Spurs are having teenagers on They're the roster. They're just kids. <laughs> They're kids on the roster. The other day I was doing Lockdown Spurs 
with with his uh, with a guest, and we're going down the roster. Jackson, I swear, I, about three names in, I stopped and locked on the show. I said, "Who is this roster?" I was saying Jordan Hall, Dominic Barlow. <laughs> what is going on in San Antonio? So yeah, it's it's definitely a transition for the Spurs. Uh, I think Jakob Pertl, he's he is who he is at this point of his NBA career. He's a good defensive guy. He's going to do a lot of the cleanup work. Again, not I will be more surprised if he ends the season in San Antonio colors. Uh, I think I expect him to be gone by trade deadline. Uh, yeah, it is just a big period of transition. And then, of course, you, know, you, you can't forget about Popovich. I mean, could he be the last big transition key after this season? Uh, you know, they brought in Brett Brown on the coaching staff. Yeah, he's back on the Spurs bench. Uh, could they be just shaking off the coaching rust for him? He's gone through a rebuild before in Philadelphia. You know, he's going to do it again in San Antonio. So could they just getting him, you know, getting geared up to take the uh, take the reins once Pop decides to uh, call it a day? I don't know. Don't know. But, yeah, it's times are changing in San Antonio, or should they say they've already changed? Because yeah, there's going to be a lot of L's racked up, and 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 Jackson, have, I know you. Pro- I mean, I, I don't. We're not going to blame you if you haven't. But the Spurs month opening month schedule. I mean, you might as well just give them the first round pick already. You know, give them number one slot. I mean, they're going. They're going to go through a gauntlet. I there's fans that think that they may start the season 0 and 15, 0 and 20. Hey, look, look, the the Rockets started one and 15 last year. And so, um, you know, it's it's distinctly possible. And if that happens, your chances of finishing somewhere in the top five or even top three, uh, you know, increase exponentially. I think if you Mm -hmm. if you manage to get off through that bad of a start with your NBA season. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's going to be a lean season for the Spurs. But hopefully at the end of the day, the light of the entire is um, is a Wimbanyama is a scoot or is another prospect that could possibly fall within the top three, top five picks. The Spurs need that. They they need a corner piece. They don't have that right now. Uh, look, even during the Spurs' dominant decades, I never saw a free agent say, I want to give up my payday and go win titles with Tim Duncan, Tony, and Manu. That never happened. You know, you know historically, the, there's only been one, one major free agent to come to San Antonio, and his name was LaMarcus Aldridge historically so they got to do something and the the only way they've shown it is via the draft so yeah but they but they've had a lot of success in the draft so things should you know if you're a spurs fan you should be very optimistic about their ability to build through the draft Mm -hmm. but you bring up a good point there you mentioned the the spurs legendary big three there Manu ginobili recently being inducted into the basketball hall of fame what did manu mean to San Antonio to Spurs basketball and to, and to, to basketball as a whole, right. As a global ambassador right. for the sport. Yeah. I was very uh, glad and honored uh, that I was able to attend the hall of fame induction ceremony Friday and Saturday, both, both days I was there in person, got to talk with Mono Ginobili uh, on Friday in the presser. And, and thank goodness he understood what I meant because I'm not dumb. Uh, I remember asking him Jackson, uh, you know, they picked you know, they know how the, the NBA works or the Hall of Fame network. They, oh, you have to be selected to ask questions. You can't just grab a mic and ask. So they selected me. And first of all, I got nervous. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm talking to Manu Ginobili. So then I just said, hey, Manu, why Tim Duncan? Look, I know you got to be an NBA I'm a basketball Hall of Famer to present. Um, 
a person like Tim Duncan. So I asked Monaco, so so why Timmy? And he goes, Oh, because he's a he's already inducted and you can only have a presenter that's been in the Hall of Fame. But I get what you're trying to say, yeah, Jeff. And so he kind of saved me there. But so why I bring up this story is because what he's meant to San Antonio, first of all, we'll start off locally, then globally. Locally, he's always been good with the media, you know, willing to go above and beyond. You know, he represented the Spurs brand tremendously, never really had any off the court waves or bad headlines, nothing like that. Uh, on the court was just a dynamo. There's a saying in San Antonio, the greatest spur ever is Tim Duncan. The most beloved is Mono Ginobili. So, yeah, he, he touched the uh, fans' hearts uh, with his energy, with his spirit, his competitiveness. Uh, he mentioned during uh, the press conference on Friday, and, and I think he did mention it. Uh, I think he did. But if he didn't, well, this is what he said. He said that he hates that he is so competitive. He said it's not the right way to live. But that competitiveness got him four NBA titles, got him an Olympic gold medal, got him an Italian league MVP, uh, got him a Euro league title. So, yeah, I, I mean, he is just that global stamp that he left on the league, on the world of basketball is tremendous. You look at Gordon Hayward. There's a reason why he wears number 20. That's his favorite player. It's Mono Ginobili. Uh, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. They all say, yeah, we got our Euro step from Manu. So, he, he, you know, he's, she's, she's, I mean, there's just so many moments he had on the court from the James Harden block. I had to bring it up, Jackson. Sorry. To, <laughs> uh, to even to his final days where he had a dagger shot against the Celtics when Kyrie Irving was still wearing green and white. I mean, the, the memories that he brought to the court, off the court, um, you know, to his home country of Argentina. Uh, it, it's just just powerful. And, you know, who knows? Maybe next year there'll be one more spur that the end of the big three, that is Tony Parker. So, yeah, it was great to be a part of that uh, Springfield Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame ceremony with Mono Ginobili. By the way, if you ever do it, Jackson, just to give you a little uh, heads up, the actual Hall of Fame ceremony is not at the Basketball Hall of Fame itself. I learned that the hard way when you walked in there and I'm thinking, all right, I'm here, everybody. Where do I go see Mono get enshrined? And security says, yeah, you're in the wrong area. You got to go down the street about five minutes away from here. So don't do that rookie mistake I did. Hey, I appreciate the advice, Jeff. Yeah. I, you know, I'll take that to heart if I'm ever able to have the honor, the privilege to be in attendance for a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. But what happens this next season with the Spurs? What do they look like as far mm -hmm. as just being on the ground floor of the rebuild? Is yeah. Brett Brown the new head coach in waiting, possibly, behind Craig Popovich? You're going to have us cover for all that and more over at Locked on Spurs. Jeff, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Anytime. And that's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms. We're also on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.